0: Just before we start, don't forget, John and I are live on stage. The red velvet seats, I can see them now, Ooh. John, of the Olympia, <laughs> the 5th of March. Dave McWilliams' podcast live. Get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. See you there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
1: Who knows where this is going to
0: end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
1: This podcast is powered by
0: Acast. How you doing there? It's podcast time. John is going on a long weekend. He's been talking about a weekend away for a while. i got to get away.
1: Just gotta get away. So where are you going? Well, myself and Al were talking, and we're kind of a toss up between going to Berlin for a weekend. Oh, nice one! Or Lisbon. And oh, what I was trying uh, also to do, another nice one. Yes, absolutely. And what I was trying to do is rather than just going there and mooching around the city, which would be great crack anyway, but I wanted to kind of base it around like a gig or a soccer match or both.
0: Okay. So I started looking.
1: Uh-huh. And, and there's a nice gig on in Lisbon, the Idols, I think.
0: I believe they're very good. Excellent. Yeah.
1: There's also a, a good gig on in Berlin. And there's
0: also, there's also, there'll also be Benfica or Sporting well, the, or whatever. Yeah,
1: Benfica are playing actually. Yeah. But the interesting thing, what really struck me about it was the price of the gigs. Your average price for a gig on the continent, it seems, is around 30 quid thereabouts. It's about the same as what we're charging for our gig. On the fifth of March. Fifth by of the March, way, fifth of March.
0: By the way, tickets are actually flying, which is really quite good. Oh well, then get lads, get out there. By the way, no. John gets nervous every time <laughs> we get a we get a an update in ticket sales. John's like, oh no, no, not another two hundred people. What am I going to say? <laughs> You'll be grand. You'll be fine. <laughs> so go on, come back to come back, but, but, but the whole thing was tickets at Ticketmaster. By the way, dot Go on, tell but,
1: me. But the gigs in. It just feels like in Ireland, the the average price for a gig seems to be kind of 40 quid plus up to 100 yeah, and something. Yeah, yeah, on the big gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just feels like we're being ripped off here constantly. And also football matches. I know you don't go to that many football matches. Premier League games in, in the UK are in ridiculous. In the UK, like 70, 80, 90 quid a yeah. ticket.
0: Wait, they're about go to see the 30, Rovers for a tenner.
1: 30, 40 quid. Yeah, yeah, well, Rovers for a tenner. yeah. Are you going to see Queegan. Bose for a tenor?
0: You know, look, let's let's be equal opportunity. Or you can go to see Pats. You can go see Shells if you want. Yeah, yeah. But uh, by the way, come back to just before you go. See, Bose have introduced a Bob Marley shirt the other week. They are very clever because Bob Marley's last live gig ever was in Daly Mount Park. Daney Mount Park. And Pat yeah. was at it, yeah. right? Just clever. That was his last gig ever. Ever, ever. Wow, his last I didn't know live that one. Gig Ever, because he had gangrene and cancer in his toe. Yeah. And he wouldn't get it because the Rastafarians do not believe in amputation. Yeah, or cutting their hair. That's part of it. Part of the whole thing. So his doctors advised him, said, look, you've got cancer in your toe. If we let us chop a bit of this off, you'll be grand. And he said, no, ma."
1: No man.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's go back. So the, the Bows actually I said the, the Bows have actually done a very clever marketing strategy with a Bob Marley shirt.
1: Fair we'll go on. Uh no, but it I've just it it just struck me that the difference in price.
0: Well, this is what we want to talk about today, which is why well, first of all, the difference in price is the Irish price level has been going up and up and up and up for a long, long time. There was a time not that it's quite distant now but where Ireland was much cheaper than other countries. So when we were younger, Mm. if you went to Germany, you went to Italy, it was always really expensive. You know, you couldn't, couldn't believe how much it was, right? Now Ireland is much more expensive because over many, many years, our rate of inflation, which is largely driven by wage growth, If you think about it, because the biggest cost has been going up and up and up and up. And now we've got to a stage, as you say, where you go to Portugal, you go to Germany. That's the crazy thing. You go to Germany and everything is much cheaper in Germany. And yet the society is much richer. Yeah. And that is the bizarre thing. But it's even things, and you know, anybody
1: will know this when they go on holidays. To buy a coffee in Portugal, for instance,
0: is a quid. Yeah. But their wages are really low.
1: Yeah. But so, well, you know, I get my flat white with a little twist of whatever. Of course, you, you do. know, and it's
0: 350. The beer. twist of geranium or something, <laughs> or whatever you get. Beer as well. Well, interesting, you should mention beer. I was discussing the other night with my son and his mates who were going out, and they were chatting, chat, chat, chat. I said, Where are you going tonight? We're going out, blah, blah, blah. We're going to get a couple of drinks beforehand. And then they said, drinks, But then they said, We're going to buy a few naggins. A nagging of vodka. I haven't heard them. They're like 1920. Yeah. I haven't heard them talking about drinking nagins for a long time. Right? Naggings were the on the back of the 46A. Yeah. Nagin, right? Oh, you know, they were the days. And then I said, what are you guys drinking nagins for? And they said, because it's too expensive because of the minimum alcohol price. You know, it's been brought in, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have now calculated if we drink X amount of vodka, it's going to get us here and it's going to be too expensive to drink beer. And that's the amazing thing. So the minimum alcohol pricing has changed profoundly how teenagers drink and early 20s drink. And they're drinking heavier spirits now and abandoning beer because beer is too expensive. So the very idea of the minimum pricing was to try and wean kids off heavy booze. Yeah. And it's doing the opposite. And this is what I want to talk now about is basically different costs of living Different rates of inflation for different people and how that impacts on the economy. Because you know, you hear the rate of inflation is X, right? Yeah, four percent or five percent, right? And then you hear lots of people saying, "Well, it might be five percent for you, but it's ten percent for me." Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's all to do with what you're spending your money on. So when you talk about inflation in Portugal and Ireland, that's an average inflation rate that you can see between Ireland. And a different country. But what's even more interesting is the inflation rate within a society. Mm. Whether you're in America, whether you're here with the UK, whether you're in France or Germany, what you have is different levels of inflation. And I want to talk about that this, today.
1: Yeah, but it, it, go on, explain that a well, bit more.
0: Well, I tell you, we're going to get all nostalgic, oh. right? We're going to get nostalgic. When I was a kid, I loved the smell of turpentine right do you remember the smell of turpentine it's like it's the smell of paint thinners
1: yeah now i know that
0: sounds very weird
1: yeah but i did down the back within a bag
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm talking about something very different i'm talking about a nostalgic trip that i'm gonna take you now back into my dad's garage Garage of our house,
1: yeah, in Remember. Windsor well.
0: Park, right. And you used to go into the garage. and My dad used to paint all the time. Right? Yeah, when you come home from work, he'd kind of have his dinner, chat for a while, and then he would go and paint. And I think that was his way of winding down, you know, completely getting rid of stress, which is actually quite. A... He was a good
1: painter, as far as he I remember. He was a good painter, yeah. and he, he did it well. His favorite kind of um muse was Kalini Hill and Dorky.
0: Yeah, all around Dorky, Kalini Yeah, Hill. but he was good. I yeah. remember them being really good, and being... he loved. He He loved it. And uh, that was his thing, you know. You see, he's one of these men who didn't drink, yeah. never drank at all. Yeah. And so booze was never a thing. So it was basically football and painting. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of pretty, pretty much standard. But when when I was a kid, when I was about seven years old, what I used to love, I thought it was really magical. He used to teach me how you could turn two different colors, primary colors, into secondary colors.
1: Right. Yeah. And this yeah.
0: completely fascinated me because I used to go into this sort of his world, he'd now call it a manshed, but a manshed is kind of like more of a sort of a contemporary blokes. So this is like a really old-fashioned manshed. You'd go into the, and I remember the smell of lacquers and ointments and paints and oil. Oh, this is on turpentine, yeah. all these smells. Yeah. And then you'd go in and there'd be kind of old bikes and stepladders and shelves. And I remember the way he'd have this little kind of squiggly, pencily writing which would be identifying all the various paints and what colours they were and various offshoots of various different colours. Right, yeah. And for me, it was kind of magical because you imagine when you're seven, you go in there and this is, this is a weird world and, you know, your man is in there painting away. And then he'd say to me, "He'd say, look at this. And I thought it was magic that you could take, for example, you could take a red and a blue and you could generate purple. Yes. I used to love that idea. Yeah, like, yeah, for me, yeah. this was fantastic. Or you take a blue and a yellow, and then you'd mix them together and yeah. you'd get It's green. like alchemy. Yeah. And you're a yellow and a red and you'd get orange. And I, for me, this was, it was like alchemy. Mm. And as a little boy, I just thought, wow, this is the most extraordinary place to be. And he'd see. And of course, the poor fella, like I, once I saw one bit of alchemy, and again, and again, and again. And he's like, oh, Jesus, here we go again. But that idea of blending things, right? Taking one colour and another colour and creating a third colour. This is interesting from the perspective of inflation, right? Oh, because no, there's it, a link. Right, so if you think about blending, right, most chemistry is about blending. Cooking, I don't know anything about cooking, but it's about blending. How do you get this taste, this aroma? Yeah. And you fuse with, So in the same way as my dad was taking this dye, this shade, fusing together, get another colour. If you think about cooking, it's all about taking this taste and that taste, fusing together, get a third taste. Yeah. And of course, this is how we all respond to it most chemistry is about fusion most everything is about fusion right and this fascinates me because you fuse things together sometimes to obscure or sometimes to elevate so if you ask for example if you go into a restaurant in dublin on monday what you will always see on the menu are smoked haddock fritters
1: yeah i love them
0: i know so do i but why do you do that because they're the only way of disguising the fact that the fish is three days old. Yeah. So you take potatoes and you smoked haddock. And so you smoke and you get a little bit more smoky and you disguise the fact. So bit of cheese. F- a bit of cheese. So what you're doing is you're actually obscuring something. You're fusing them together to take something to create a different taste yeah. or a different experience. Okay. Now, think about smoked haddock fritters and inflation. Or my garage in the 1970s and inflation, right? What happens is inflation is a blend. So in the same way as a coffee, like, you know, the roasted coffees, you get very, very, very strong coffee. You blend it with very, very weak coffee and you get a medium roast. Okay. So inflation is exactly the same. So what inflation is, it's basically a measure of the change in prices of a variety of goods every single month blended together Unweighted for what statisticians think the average person spends their money on. So, for example, housing, you'd have a great weight on food, clothing, mm. all those sort yeah. of things, right? So what it is, it's nothing more than a blend, right? It's doing what my dad did. It's yeah. taking one color and another color and creating a third color, right? And that is why for many people, when they hear the rate of inflation is 5%, they say, yeah, but it might be 5% for you. But it's not five percent for me. Yeah, my rate of inflation is ten percent or fifteen percent. Because it depends on the stuff that I'm buying. Precisely, and of course, the things you buy depend on your age. So it's a thing when you when you think about economics. Okay, it's a life cycle consumption. So people who are young spend stuff, spend money on different things. People who are old spend money on different sure, things. Yeah. So basically, what you have is the rate of inflation. Although, on average, it reflects the average person. What they call the median person in the country. Right. In reality, it can be very, very different for people. And therefore, people's reaction to inflation can be profoundly different. Now, this, when inflation is low, when the cost of living is generally low, and I think I prefer to use cost of living than inflation, because basically that if your cost of living is rising and your income is not rising, your standard of living is falling. Yes. And what people want yeah. is a standard of living. Yeah. Yeah. People don't really care about the cost of living as long as their wages are rising, as long as their standard of living isn't falling. So, right now, we have this dilemma, which is that people are worried about inflation, but various different sections of society's perceptions of inflation are profoundly different. Like, a great example is if you are 30 years old and you are renting and you are paying two grand for a flat in Dublin. Yeah. Your sense of the rate of inflation is profoundly different to somebody who owns a house and is paying a very low mortgage because they bought the house 25 years ago, the mortgage is twopence halfpenny. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So housing inflation for a younger person has a dramatic impact on their cost of living and consequently their standard of living, whereas housing inflation for an older person actually makes them feel richer.
1: Yeah. Actually, yeah, increases yes.
0: their standard of living. And that's what I want to talk about, because I think this is a critical battleground for politics and economics in the coming, I'd say, three or four years ahead. Because inflation is going to be with us for a while, maybe a year, maybe two. But the legacy of that year or two is going to feed into political decisions over the course. You can even see it now. The government are reacting, trying to give subsidies for this and that, yeah. and whatever because they're panicking.
1: Okay, let's get into this just after this.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
1: Inflation, Mac.
0: Yeah, we need to see which is rising.
1: Okay. Yes, that's the that's that's the key. But we're not we're in this podcast. We're not calling it inflation. We're calling it the cost, the cost of, of living. living. Okay, so what you're saying basically is that the cost of living in general is rising, but but when you drill down, it's rising at different rates for different, for different
0: sectors of society. Yes, exactly, exactly. for different, for different people. people, and that's why I wanted to talk about the blend. Yeah, so. Basically, the cost of living is just a blend, but when you disaggregate it down into its components, it has a different impact, so like the, a different color.
1: So that basket That's, of goods, yeah, includes what at everything. The
0: everything. So basically, you have, believe it or not, statisticians. Who are employed by the CSO, and they go out and they go to shops and they check prices and they, right. they come
1: back. Pick up a bit of broccoli and yeah, then exactly. they make it. They come the, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go and to the petrol station. They go, they
0: go to everything. They go to petrol stations, they go to clothes shops, they go online. This is part of the collating of statistics, which I believe is a sign of a civilized country, right? <laughs> I've always believed this. In you know other way, you're saying, you know, the, the great civilizations, they had great art and whatever. I don't think, I actually think great statistics is the sign of a really civilised country. There's the nerd coming out. And a sign of a corrupted country is a country that lies about statistics. That's a
1: really important thing. That's every fecking country.
0: Well, no, but I mean, if your CSO is totally under political pressure, I mean, I think, I know it sounds really nerdy, but the, the Central Statistics Office is one of the most important institutions of state. That if your measurement is pure, and uncorrupted, it actually is a reflection of a society that is much, much more likely to be open, to be free, to be tolerant, to be liberal, yeah. to be a place to live. If your country is a country where statistics are manufactured and manipulated, then I think you're in a really okay. Can I just area. stop you there? I know, I know. This is my weird stuff. I
1: know, and I, and I, and we're going off point a little bit. But I just want to stop you there. Because mm-hmm. you have quoted that book um, how to lie with statistics on numerous occasions. So, so you may have a whole load of figures and numbers and stats sitting in the CSO, but it's the interpretation the thing. of that.
0: That's why in university my favourite course was statistics, <laughs> it's, right? Because it's a it's a way of telling stories. Yeah. So. If you take statistics, and you're right, that's the pure data. Yeah. That's what we're measuring. Which is meaningless until it's interpreted. Exactly. And that's the alchemy of lots in the economic profession. Now, I've always, not always, but I've tended to regard some of the economics profession as not being dissimilar to medieval priests, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So if you imagine the medieval priesthood, okay? The He's priests, wearing a
1: cassock, the by the way. The <laughs>
0: say to all the punters, right, in the monastery, right, all the punters turn up for mass, right? This is why yeah. Luther was so revolutionary. So all the punters turn up for mass and the priest said, look, man, I have a relationship with God, so much so that I speak a Latin language that you guys can't speak, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Okay, so this is my statistics. So God has the truth, okay? That's the statistics, the data, I, the priest, interpret the truth and disseminate the truth to you, the punter. And you don't have to worry about any al shite like this. Just keep paying me indulgences and money and I'll keep God on side. So the priest was, in a way, what they call in Germany the dolmenscher, the translator. And the economist and the statistician play a similar role in secular societies because they translate and make material They tell stories about the data. So I think you're right. But anyway, let us get back to inflation. So good statistics is a good sign, right? So first of all, you've got to understand statistics, a blend, an aggregation doesn't actually reflect everybody's experience. And this is very important when we come to inflation because inflation is political, right? The second one is, and this is a fascinating thing, is that somewhere deep in our human psychology, we value not losing money, more than we value earning money, right? Right. It's called loss aversion in behavioral economics and psychology. So for some reason, pain is worse than gain, right? And that, of course, is a deeply elemental human thing, right? Sure, yeah. That we experience pain, we feel pain, but we feel it physically. Mm. And if you look at, for example, gamblers, why do gamblers never sell up? Why do they always hold out until such a time as they think it's going to come back? It's because they don't want to crystallize their losses, accept their losses, and move on. Yeah. This is why so many it's people... It's kind of a denial. Yeah, it's, it is a denial. And yeah. this is why so many people who buy assets at the height don't sell when, when things are falling. They wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And all the time, they're actually losing money. But it's this idea of clinging on, hoping for the best. And This is, this is the idea of loss aversion. Mm. So if inflation is high... If the cost of living is high to you, you remember that more than if inflation is low and the cost of living is low. So when the cost of living spikes up, you remember it much more than all the good times when it wasn't spiking up. Yeah. So this is why inflation can have a, an outsized impact on politics, right? So this is the first thing. And then there's three specific problems which make inflation, to use the vernacular, a shit show for politicians. Mm-hmm. Right. The first is, once it gets into the system, it's very hard to get out. I would call it, economists talk about rational expectations. I would call it tit-for-tat inflation. You're right. right. Explain that. So tit-for-tat inflation is, okay, the price of energy goes up. Petrol, I want a wage increase. I want a wage increase. The price of energy goes up. So it's tit-for-tat. So at every stage, once it gets into the system, yeah, it can actually go up. And it's only the rational response. So if you're cost of living is going up. Then without an increase in wages, your standard of living is going down. So you demand an increase in wages. Yeah. Once you get an increase in wages, it means that where you're working, the cost where you're working has gone up because your wage is a cost to your employer. Yes. So your employer has to put up prices to get back to having a fixed profit margin. Yes. Right? Now, if we work off fixed profit margins, which is a fixed margin business, which many people do, right? Yeah. If your costs are going up, you have to increase prices. Then you, as the worker, experiences more price increase. You say, well, hold on a second. my yeah, yeah, yeah. So tit for tat, tit for tat. So it can get deep in the system. So that's the first problem. It's very, very hard to get inflation out of the system once it's in the system, right? And of course, the second problem for the Irish government and all governments within the Eurozone is we've no tools to get rid of local inflation. Because the typical tools you have are your exchange rate and right. your interest rate, yeah. right? So what happens is, if inflation is rising in a region or in a country in a currency union, there's very little they can do. Had we our own currency yeah. and inflation was rising here, our interest rates would rise. Yeah, That would also push up our exchange rate. As our exchange rate rises, the price of imports falls, so there's a deflationary impact from imported prices. That doesn't happen in the monetary union. So it means that the inflation rate can go on longer, Yeah. right? So if we begin to inflate higher than the Germans, which we will, because we're a younger population, we spend more, right? Then what happens is it takes longer for inflation to get wrung out of the system because we've no domestic tools. So one of the great, the Faustian bargain of monetary union was we gave away our monetary tools, yeah. in order to have the stability that not having your own exchange rate facilitates, but it means that if you get into trouble on your own, you're on your own. So it takes a longer time for inflation to get out of the system. So you could have higher inflation for quite some time. Right. Right. And so, if we, has,
1: but but at the same time, if if our inflation goes through the roof, yes, for example, and Germany stays, stays the same, same, the way that the ECB will react is to. Up the interest rates. No,
0: they won't because we're so small. We okay. are so small. Ireland is so small, right? They might increase interest rates modestly to right. reflect conditions in France and Germany and northern Italy, right? Yeah. But if okay. we get out of whack, right? Yeah. Which we did the last time when we had a property boom, we got out of whack on our own. Right. And they okay. said, well, you fix it on your own. Right? Right. So the same idea. And what happens then is that companies that are exporting out of Ireland that are faced Irish with Irish costs and are competing with German or British or whatever companies will find it highly uncompetitive to be here and they will go to the wall. So that's the second dilemma is oh, you've okay, no right. tools. Yeah. And then the third dilemma is the way in which people vote. Right, And this is why it's a shit show for politicians because people don't vote based on the average rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. They vote based on their inflation, yeah,
1: of course, right. Yeah.
0: So if if the political class loses control of the cost of living, the electorate atrophies into the various different constituencies whose rate of inflation is different. So it doesn't matter if Neil Martin or whoever comes out, you know, and says Emmanuel Macron, for example, says, "Oh well, don't worry, the average rate of inflation is four percent." Point to saying, "Well, it's not my four percent, so I'm going to vote against you." Yeah, because yeah. I think you're lying to me. Because you say it's 4%, but I know mine is not 4%. He's not lying. It's just the way statistics blur things, and it's the blend. So that's why it's a real shit show for politicians, because ultimately what happens is if you let inflation begin to take hold in a society, it can take a long, long time for you to get back. And the political consequences of that are enormous.
1: So inflation here at the moment is... Four it's five, f- five and a half percent. Five and a half percent. But in America, it's worse. It's up seven and a it's half. Seven plus. seven plus, yeah. Yeah. So what's going on in America then? How's that affecting well, America that will come back on us?
0: Let's look at the figures, right? The seven percent year on year figure. Now you may well think you shouldn't take year on year, you should take month on month because the economy's changing so quickly. But be that as it may, let's take it the seven percent, okay, right? Okay. It's the largest annual increase in prices since June of nineteen eighty two. So it's a long time since the American, yeah, it's a long, long time since Americans have experienced this level, right? And within the figure, there's significant changes to 23%. There's a 29% rise in energy costs in America in the last year. I mean, that's phenomenal, right? And the Americans love gas guzzling cars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they love their cars, right? I'll just break it down, John. There's been a 29.3% increase in energy costs in the United States, right? Gasoline is up. 49% Forty nine percent in a year, okay. Forty
1: nine percent,
0: wow. right? Utility How? gas up twenty four percent, electricity up six percent, food up six percent, housing, right? Which is forty two percent of all the waiting, which just makes sense because everyone needs a house. Is up five point one percent. So what you have is across the board new cars in the states up like up twenty percent. Yeah. And because Americans love cars, they this yeah. is much much that's more important.
1: That's big in in their inflation. It's yeah.
0: big in that, that exactly. So if you're like if you're a trucker, like the Canadian truckers are going mad now with Trudeau, right? If you're a yeah. trucker, you're in transport, you're a taxi driver, you're anything, your inflation is twenty percent. Yeah. And that's real. Yeah. Right, because yeah. that's your daily cost of going to work. Right. So. What you can see is that energy costs, heating costs, driving costs, all going through the roof, right? Which means that if you are a commuter in a suburb of somewhere like Boston, which is very cold for a long time, Mm -hmm. your inflation's gone through the roof. Whereas if you're a cyclist now in California, your inflation's much less because you don't have any energy costs. Right, yeah, yeah. And and it's sunny. Yeah. So if you're a commuting... Well,
1: you have uh, air conditioning costs. Yeah, but if you're, yeah,
0: okay. So if you're Northern California, (laughs) let's get specific, right? But if you're a commuting renter in Boston, your rate of inflation is going to be profoundly more egregious than if you are a home-owning cyclist in San Francisco. Yes. And that's the way it plays out. So you can imagine you can play that out for the whole of America. America's so big that all these factors cost. And of course, Biden's in the middle of this, trying to figure out what to do. So that's the way in which it plays out, that different sectors of society in different geographies experience inflation completely differently. Now, in Ireland, it's something quite similar. Our rate of inflation is 5.5%. That's the 14th consecutive rise in inflation, right? But transport, up 18%. Housing and utilities up eleven percent, right? So again, we come back to this idea that if you are a young renter who commutes in Ireland, this is hitting you all the time. Yeah. And the worst thing is, the only thing central banks can do, or want to do, in the face of inflation, is raise interest rates. Right? The ECB, if they're talking about now. So imagine you're a commuter driving. First time buyer in Ireland, and your cost of living is increasing dramatically. And the response from the central bank is to make it worse by increasing your mortgage rate. Yeah. So you're yeah. thinking, what the fuck? Right? And that affects how you vote. Because you're thinking, I'm gonna vote, I'm just not gonna vote for the establishment yeah. or the status quo, because I'm feeling this in my pocket. That's why inflation's so important, and that's where we are, you know. And I think But of course, the problem is that it's the
1: ECB. So, you know, it's you can, far away. Yeah, it's far away. And we can have a go at, at Michal Martin and all the rest. But he actually is not controlling He's that. He's not
0: controlling it. Exactly. So that's one of the dilemmas. Now, I happen to think that a lot of this is temporary. But the problem with temporary is temporary only is temporary for a while. If you keep saying the definition that, of yeah, yeah, if, you, but if you keep saying it's temporary, it's temporary, temporary, yeah, but it's going on for months and months and months, then it yeah. becomes permanent. And then people yeah. say, Okay. Uh, this so is at now what the point route.
1: does it become permanent? I think like it, is there a, a definitive... Yeah, uh, no,
0: there's not. Does it's it's more, it's more to do with the sense of okay, hold on. It becomes permanent when you start agitating for a wage increase when everybody starts agitating for a wage increase, that's when you realise, okay. I've been asking you for that for w- ages, Max. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, we've got to keep it really tight. We've got to keep it really, really tight. But margins. Your margins, margins are squeezed. I mean, my fixed fixed price. Money. But, you know, what, I, what, what happens then is the economy can go from underperformance in the pandemic to overheating now without any piece of stability in the middle.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And
0: that's why this economy is so weird. Because normally what happens is, the economy goes into a recession. It takes a while. Then we get a little bit more confident. Then prices rise a tiny bit. It takes ages. Whereas now we've gone from being asleep yeah. to inflation with no bit in the middle. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. the interesting thing, and if we just go back, John, you know, people in with, you know, better memories than us can remember working in the 70s and early 80s when inflation was really high. We were just kids then. Yeah. So it's, for me, I'm still in the garage talking to my dad about mixing colours. But what actually happened to my dad is that he worked in an exporting company and all Irish exporting companies, or many of them, That's right. went yeah. to the wall because of inflation. Yeah, Because they were exporting to the UK and to Germany and our inflation rate was higher. So our costs were higher. So the profit margins of those companies were higher. And even worse... We tied our exchange rate to the Deutsche Mark, but nobody believed us, which meant that our real interest rates had to be much higher. So companies that were exporting with CapEx investment, which all exporting companies have to be if you're in manufacturing, have large debts. So they got both hammered by inflation. And my dad lost his job because of inflation. So for me, this is like, when I think about it now, you know, you think, is that 40-year cycle going to repeat itself here, where people in exporting now the one good thing is that most Irish exporters now are multinational companies which have much much more deep pockets and buffers than those old manufacturing companies mm. that were exporting chemicals and paints and you know manufacturing stuff, you know basic industrial goods, manufacturing goods. Yeah. they had no buffers, right? but they went to the wall because of inflation. Now that means that small Irish companies not the big ones, the small ones, the SMEs that we're talking about, have a lot to fear for inflation because it changes their relative cost relative to their competitors abroad. And that's what happened to to my dad. And the crazy thing is, you know, I was there in those days, sitting in the garage, insulated completely, thinking that there was nothing in the world that your dad couldn't fix. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is that's the kids' world, and the adult world is completely different. Just a quick message. Listen, thank you so much to all our Patreons. We couldn't do this without your support. And if you fancy supporting us and getting all sorts of fantastic gear, economic courses, tutorials, reading lists, all that jazz, follow us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.